Welcome to the Loft Episode 3. Formed by Kate Bond. Five a day. By Edgar Marlowe. Performed by Kevin Parr. We will start at the beginning. The children hurry up from the water's edge when they hear his voice, trailing their buckets and spades behind them. Marjorie leads the way with James lagging behind but doing his best to keep up, treading as quickly and carefully as he can across the seaweed. They are both dripping with water and their hair is soaked and scraped back across their heads, their legs covered with sand to the knees. Marjorie looks back over her shoulder at her brother and even though she knows that she shouldn't anymore, she yells at him for being too slow. Her voice is swept up and away in the ballooning wind. Here, let's get dried, their father says finally, and he wraps them both in the same towel, ruffling them inside it in a tangle of arms and legs. He rubs their hair until it sticks up in a bird's nest and they point at each other and laugh. Right, he says, and they both turn to look at him. We need to get that mummy of yours buried. They cheer and giggle, looking behind him at where she is lying on the sand. Spades ready? Marjorie pokes her brother with the edge of hers. There's a split in the plastic and the point of it jags into his belly, making him yelp. He chases after her and they jostle playfully with each other, then get to work covering their mother's toes, flicking the sand across her feet with quick, exaggerated movements. Their spades can only hold small amounts, so they dig as fast as they can, scooping up little heaps that dust off into the wind. James has his head lowered with concentration, and he throws some too high and into Marjorie's eyes, and she pushes him and asks her father to make him stop. He laughs and joins him at her feet. Now you two, let's get this going properly. He has another plastic spade, a little bigger and more sturdy, and he starts to dig, dragging up full heaps of sand and dumping it over her feet. James stays with him and helps clumsily, while Marjorie moves up to her mother's legs, filling and tipping bucketfuls across her shins and thighs. It is warm and dry at this spot on the beach and the sand is fine like glitter to their eyes when it catches in the light. The children start to laugh again and they sing a song with made-up words. Overhead, the sky is blue and huge, scuttled across by thin strips of cloud. Marjorie hears a seagull pass above her and when she looks up it makes her feel dizzy, like she's standing still but falling at the same time, or like the world is spinning faster than she's used to. The bird calls again and its sound is sharp against the muffled thundering of the waves and she imagines its beak snipping the sky like scissors, cutting away the old bits. Come on you, her father says. He has his shirt off now and has to stop once or twice to wipe the sweat from his forehead as he digs and lifts, scooping and tipping more and more sand up across the tops of her legs and onto her waist. He prods the children playfully as they work together, stealing their spades and holding them up high so they can't reach, setting them challenges, 
who can bury one of her hands first, and singing their made-up songs. He helps them fill their buckets and pats the sand level. The hair on his chest is thick and dark, and as he sweats it curls up into clumps and little black swirls that remind Marjorie of the spirals inside some shells. Tummy, 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 James chants. They have dug deep enough into the sand around her that it is starting to dampen and get heavier, and as they tip it onto her belly and up onto her chest, it lands with a sugary thump. Well done, you two, says their father. Now once we've done a little bit more, we can do some sculpting too. He tips some of the wetter sand onto a mound over her right hand and presses it and shapes it into the fingers. Look, one, two, three, four, and the thumb, five, a hand. You try another one now, Marjorie, and let James have a go too. Remember what we talked about. The sun has passed its peak when they stop for lunch. Marjorie spreads out a tartan blanket and they unpack the sandwiches and drinks her mother made for them that morning. James makes a fuss and refuses his, insisting he only wants crisps. Marjorie gives him a lecture, telling him he won't grow up big and strong like Daddy unless he eats his lunch up, and eventually he concedes and manages a few bites, grimacing every time he swallows. They sit together and sip their drinks and watch the sea, with their father standing behind them taking swigs from a bottle of water. The children ask if they can snuggle up with their mother, and they take their juice cartons and lie on either side of her, with her arms around them, their heads propped up on the sand like they're leaning against cushions. The wind has died down and they feel warm and full. Does mummy want another drink? James asks, looking back at her. You can give her some if you like, replies his father. James scampers up the sand with his carton and pokes the straw towards her mouth. On his way back, he stops by her sculpted hand and reshapes the fingers, breaking and repairing them clumsily until they look to Marjorie like strange claws, elongated and squashed thin. They can see how pleased he is with his efforts, though, and how hard he tried, and for once, Marjorie doesn't get angry or tease him. After lunch, she packs up the leftovers and rolls up the blanket and explains to James what they need next. Seaweed for hair the dry, crispy type, not the wet, horrible stuff, pebbles and sticks, and the nicest shells they can find for decoration. We must make sure Mummy looks nice before we go, she says. It's very important. She tells James not to worry, and that she knows what to do, and leads him off by the hand towards the rock pools. His bucket clacks against his knees as she breaks them into a run. Then they are out of sight, and their father and mother are alone on the beach in the softening wind, crisscrossed in flickers by the silhouettes of gulls. He kneels and starts with her feet, gently shaping them out as perfectly as he can, feeling for their hidden contours and compacting the sand over them, hard and flat and tight. His fingers sculpt out her toes one by one. The waves are louder behind him now, and he knows the tide will be in soon to take her. He leans forward where the sand is piled heaviest on her waist and chest and pours out some of the water from his bottle to dampen it further, moulding the wetness into her shape. He presses and holds one hand firmly between her thighs, lifting his mouth to where hers would be and taking his weight forward onto one elbow. When he touches the sand beneath his lips he can almost feel her face smooth and hard underneath and he pictures it in his mind's eye 
sketching features on top with his finger, eyes, nose, mouth. He draws and redraws them in different expressions and eventually drags them together into a blank spiral, tracing it round and round in rings. When he hears the first sounds of the children returning, he gets to his feet and glances towards the rocks, then over his shoulder at the incoming sea. The sun is low in the sky now, but still bright, and he squints against it and out over the horizon. When he looks back down at the sand, all he can see is his shadow. Five a day, that's what you're taught in school. It used to be an apple a day keeps the doctor away. It's not five a day keeps the doctor away, it's just five a day. Have you had your five a day? This counts as part of your five a day. Five a day, it's easy to understand. You can count to five on one hand. You can keep track of five. Have I had five? No. One? Yes. More than three? No. You need another two then. Three is halfway. If you're about on three, then that's a good turning point in the day and you've nearly won. You can keep track of five. Have I had five? No. One? Yes. More than three? No. You need another two then. Three is halfway. If you're about on three, then that's a good turning point in the day and you've nearly won. But then, this is where it gets a bit tricky. So you wake up and think, ah, Right, a new day. And then you think, I've got to get my five a day, so i better start straight away. And you think, well, I'm going to be at work, so I'll need two before I leave the house, or I'll be behind. Add one of the five a day at lunch, and then there's the whole evening to get to five. Easy. Not a problem. But two of the five a day in the morning when you're rushing around, that's pretty tricky. Because you've got to get to the bus stop by six minutes past Or it's cutting it fine on the next one And then you won't be able to leave to get the earlier of the two buses back the way Then it's like you're doing a longer day at the job and not getting paid It's like it's unpaid work when you're on the bus to and from the job So what does that leave? 
you've got to sneak one in at work in the morning, but it's got to be in the toilets of course, and then you can't spend all lunchtime in the toilets, so you have to go out, even if the weather's bad, but where can you go every day? It all makes sense, and it all adds up like perfect symmetry. Put out your hand and look at them. A mirror image with five fingers on each hand. There's five fingers, and there's five times a day. The nearest place for lunch is usually the supermarket, and that's torture. You're hungry, and there are all the signs up. It's a direct order from your local health tyrant. Have you had your five a day? Right there in the aisle, in big letters. And what can you do then? You've not had your five a day, you're behind on the schedule, and so you have to get back on track right away. Right there in the aisle, in front of the tins of hoops, the tins of which all proclaim one of your five a day. This is one of your five a day. And running away from the store security, not being able to buy lunch, that's all got to be good for your waistline, hasn't it? Better than sitting outside the supermarket chomping on the crisps you bought, a packet that's far too big, but you don't want to carry the rest about, and it'd be a waste to throw them away. The job in hand meant working your fingers to the bone. Oh God, fingers to the bone, the job in hand, five a day, the anxiety, the obsession, plaguing every waking thought and being fired from so many jobs just means you don't list them all on your CV. You take a bit of creative license and patch over the holes. You learn how to answer the question, so why did you leave your last employment? A wave of the hands, they're not bothered anyway. The jobs are getting worse and worse. The jobs are getting more and more desperate. They're getting less and less demanding, which leaves more and more room in the workday to think of the five a day and how to get the five a day. If you've not got to three and the bus is coming, then it's the back of the bus or the top deck and the back of the bus by the smoking kids and there's usually a poster up about five a day. It's a public service from your public servants with their posters about the five a day and you're flung off the bus and you're barred from the bus and quite soon you're barred from the streets. Then it's harder to get work so you stop looking for new work after the next time you're let go. But there's not enough variety at home so you know you actually like the supermarket really as it's less time consuming overall but there's cameras in the supermarkets these days then they're playing the tape in the court and it's plain to see why and they're not listening to you about the five a day and how it's not your fault because the doctors and the government all want you to have your five a day and they tell you all the time and they're playing the clips from the smartphones of the kids in the supermarket who were watching slack jawed and there's testimony from the young mums and from the old dears and from the families testimony from the people, the people who are just, just out doing their shopping, shopping and getting what they need, need for their five a day. Music and sounds by Pretoria Pius, Ghost Radio, and the Faithful Departed. <laughs>